Welcome, I'm Ruth Feringa, founder of Conscious Leaders. This podcast aims to change the world of work one honest conversation at a time. And I hope you enjoy these conversations with proven people leaders running highly successful businesses. I hope you gain something from their philosophy and practice. Now, if you're interested in personal and professional development as a leader, I've digested the top traits and behaviors of exceptional people leaders into a book. It's called Next Level Leadership, Nine Lessons from Conscious Leaders. To order your copy, visit consciousleaders.org.uk forward slash book. You can also subscribe to my bi-weekly newsletter where I share free content, including practical tools to help people transform friction in their leadership teams. Now this month, I'm back with Tom Tapper. He is co-founder of creative agency Nice and Serious. We dive right in on the progressive policies, no danger of that. And they've been implementing these around subjects such as women's periods, yep, you heard correctly, extended paternity leave and four-day work weeks, and including the challenges they faced along the way. Okay, Tom, welcome back to the Conscious Leaders podcast. Thank you for inviting me back again, Ruth. Well, should we dive right in then? Because, um, I mean, what prompted me asking you back on the podcast was actually various posts that I've heard from you recently, um, which I think are particularly inclusive. And one particular one that I thought was quite bold for a man, to be honest, and it was one about periods. What prompted that? How did you feel doing it? What's your, you know, what's your position on that? And why do you feel like you want to to share that with the world? Because I thought it was, it was really interesting. I'd say it did take a bit of courage to post about that because I was sort of uh, conscious of not wanting to say the wrong thing, but also feeling that I had some obligation to say something because it is so often such a taboo issue, which is part of the uh, problem in a way. The period policy itself um, was a, or is, is a, is is an initiative and a new policy that, that sort of came from the ground up in many ways. Um, So we have a a, a kind of ED&I committee at Nice and Serious, which is always discussing how, how we approach issues like inclusion um, and one of the the things that came up recently is why is it that we don't have a period policy which is is kind of determined as one of the more progressive um, areas that, that the company should have kind of policies on um, and it's something we looked into it's obviously part of the, the sort of being a B Corp and we're also going through recertification as a moment it often is a, is a moment to sort of reflect on the policies that you have as a, as a business making sure you're inclusive to as many people as possible and um, yeah it was noted that we didn't have a policy that specifically allowed for for leave um, one day a month for people who are going through their period um, but also making sure that everyone has access to free provisions of sanitary products but then also from a more cultural perspective making sure that people um, feel comfortable to be able to mention that they're currently menstruating and that that might have an impact on on their work and their interaction as a team, but also um, not only making feel comfortable, but also making others feel comfortable talking about it. Um, you know, it's, especially for men, it's considered such a taboo that you wouldn't want to say the wrong thing, um, and and or, or you don't simply don't have the language to talk about it in a way that feels constructive and supportive, not derogatory in any way. For example, so um, it, it's a kind of whole package of things, really, from from the very practical of of, of giving people time off should they need it, um, up to twelve days a year. Um, through to the slightly softer skills about trying to break taboos and open up conversations and everything like that. So it, we've only recently implemented it. 
Um, and, you know, I should also say that we were kind of consulting with um, other organizations. We actually spoke to uh, several other agencies who had already got a form of period policy in place. Um, and we listened to them, found out what worked, what didn't work. And we sort of created our own policy based on those discussions um, and obviously had to get it approved by our kind of HR consultants and things like that to make sure it was all kind of above board. Um, and, and we rolled it out. And yeah, I, I guess, um, I guess I could have just not said anything about it, but um, I was encouraged by the team to talk about it, um, to kind of uh, raise awareness of it and, and encourage others to do so. And the response has been overwhelmingly positive and supportive. And, and I think there are obviously a lot of, uh, people out there who feel this is an issue isn't um, supported enough um, and it mm. is you know often so debilitating for people uh, who are going through it at that period of time that it that can really affect your work output and yet people don't feel like they can always take leave um, or talk about the reason for taking leave if needs be so mm. so yeah I mean it's an interesting one and look I you know I even feel a little bit awkward about it talk, talking about it now because I feel like I'm going to say the wrong thing or use the wrong wrong terminology so it's still very much a taboo but something I think we're all just you know encouraging to talk about talk about more um, mm. so just to clarify then so this is about being able to take leave once a month if you if you need it on your period it's about yes. access to sanitary products and it's also about normalizing conversations around um around the menstrual cycle and that people may be on that during work time and to be made allowances for to be able to be open about it yeah, that's a that's a great summary. It's it's the it's those three things, and and I think in in doing those and in talking about it more often and open, then I think we will begin to normalize it um, and and make it kind of uh, more acceptable to people for people to talk about it and acknowledge the impact it has on on their kind of day to day work and 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 therefore allowing managers to make adjustments and and, and everything like that. So hopefully it, it's sort of coming from the right place and will help everyone really if it if it goes well, but. And I feel like I can imagine like a lot of people listening to this or a lot of leaders listening to this and, and sort of fearing that my, people might, might abuse, not necessarily abuse this, but or even just take the full offering. You know, if someone was going to take 12 extra annual leave days a year, um, just playing devil's advocate, is that, is that okay? Like how, how do you sort of view that? Um, yeah, I mean, know? look. It's it's a really good question, and um, you know, and actually that there we were sort of slightly cautioned by HR advisors because of that fact that technically people could do that, um, and yeah, there's a there's a little bit of me at the back of my mind that does have that have that fear, um, but then again, I I think it it also goes a long way to to show kind of like trust to your team that that you trust they will use it, you know, um, respectfully. And I suppose if someone does need it for 12 days and they genuinely need it, then then, then, then there's probably a good reason for that. But, you know, I, I hope people will will use it when they need it at, at moments when they really do need that support. And that that would be a great thing to be able to support. But, yeah, there, there is obviously a small risk. But I think if you're in a position where your team are using it and abusing it and, and everyone's doing that, then you've probably got a deeper cultural issue that you need to fix in the first place. Um, so um so yeah i mean only time will tell maybe at the end of the year we'll realize that the, the financial implications are too much for us but, but I, I always have like a philosophy with these things where yes there might be financial implications but then the challenge then is for us well how can you adjust your business model to make that work if if, if, if it feels like a fair and just thing to do 
then the challenge will be change the business model to allow for that, not go back on it and make people suffer through their working day. So mm. I think that's my position on it. Um, but yeah. perhaps come back to me in a year and then you'll see how how progressive I sound at that point. But Yeah, no, no, starting from a place of trust. And like you said, if if someone really does feel they need that time, I mean, I remember when I used to be in in employment that sometimes that type of thing can affect you for multiple days if you can't take the rest mm. when you need it. So you're kind of allowing, potentially might prevent longer term leave or longer periods of leave or people just making up excuses and pretending yeah. why they're, they're ill for other reasons. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I suspect that already happens and I'm unaware of it. And But I think bringing it out into the open is only a positive thing, hope, hopefully for everyone involved. But... And tell me how that decision making, making process goes in your organisation or what is the team doing that is setting up this policy? Like, How does that governance wise how does that work yeah so all of the all of the kind of policies that would relate to people um sort of hr related issues are all sort of overseen by our managing director duncan um but i think over the years he's put in a lot of of processes in place to you know whether that's um discussion forums that are working groups things like that just to make sure that that people are able to kind of raise issues or you know or or, or suggest ideas for how to make nice and serious a better more creative organization to work with so i think it's the the process that he's created there allows ideas and issues to bubble up so you can actually hear them and then i think it's making sure that he's able to demonstrate he's putting some of those ideas and practices into policy if they feel like the right thing to do. So whether that's recently extending um, uh, paternity leave um, because it was too small. I, I yeah, think we, we, we were something like... Ask you about. Mm. Tell me about the paternity you know, policy. Yeah, so we'd, I mean, for for um, for mothers, um, we'd, um, I think, agreed three months full pay, three months half pay, which is significantly higher than statutory. And we'd, we'd done that about a year ago. Um, but then we were actually working on a campaign. We were doing a pro bono campaign from an organization called Pregnant Then Screwed. And um, it was about enhancing um, paternity pay. And then I think we realized at that point, we're running this campaign to try and say that six weeks paternity pays is is actually a fair thing to do, given the modern expectation of husbands to actually participate in the child rearing. I don't know what you call it process. Um, that actually it's unfair that the the dad barely gets any time off work. So, but we'd only agreed, I think, at that point, three weeks paternity leave, which is more progressive than statutory, but which not is that more than most. So, mm. so we upped that to six weeks. Um, you know, perhaps we'll get to a point where it will be even at some point. Um, but, um, but yeah. So, you know, there, there's all the things like that, and it's like. And I don't know whether it's just our culture or maybe it's also, you know, being part of a B Corp and, and every few years having to reassess and get given this framework of, you know, of what are you doing? Because if you haven't been through the B Corp or what's called the B Corp uh, impact assessment, the BIA, which is how you become certified, it's literally this massive checklist of are you doing this? Are you doing that? And it kind of it gives you the best practice example of what you should be doing in the instance of paternity or maternity cover. and. So in some of those instances, you do have to ask yourself, why aren't we doing that? And is there a good enough reason not to be doing that, for example, mm. with paternity cover and things like that? And then you do, it forces you to say no to something 
which you think, well, that sounds like a sensible idea or it sounds like a reasonable thing to, to have. So I think, and yeah, and I don't know whether that's like a cultural thing or a process thing we've had over the years, but we're always trying to to sort of ask the question of is this, does this sound like a reasonable human thing to do or is it something which is based on 1950s thinking and society's moved on but company expectations haven't and then if that's the case can we change it you know we do we put a lot of thought into these things because ultimately we're a business that bills on people hours so if 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 people are going to be off longer we're making less money so we're constantly thinking of can we afford to do this because you know as any small business owner knows if you have a couple of senior people that go on um kind of parental leave there's a big financial implication for you and very little government support for that so you know you have to think these things through um just to check they're not going to you know bankrupt you as a business so um and then it's just about saying what's the right thing to do and if it is the right thing to do how can we change the business to try and make this work there's also an element if you sort of get on a I feel like one positive policy kind of leads to another like I feel like once you've got in the mindset you sort of just keep your mind open to how could we be better in different ways and it's sort of I don't know if the term is like race to the top or I, I don't know what the expression would be but you certainly feel like well if we've done this progressive thing it suddenly makes everything else become progressive it's like like if you were redecorating your house this might be a terrible metaphor I'm not sure where I'm going with this but if you like put in a brand new set of curtains or a brand new sofa everything else suddenly looks outdated and then you want to change everything else and you know I'm not comparing one of our policies to a new sofa but like it it, it creates a mentality where you're suddenly aware of outdated ideas mm. and then you want to change those to make it feel like everything's on a level playing field so um well I really hope there is a race to the top because it feels like we have things pulling in the other direction like mass layoffs in technology mm-hmm. you know big personalities like Elon Musk acting in pretty I would say subhuman ways you know like cutting off people's accounts as a way of making them redundant before they've even had time to log in in the morning that the and it seems like we do have some mass layoffs in some big technology firms I really hope there is some kind of counter you know race the top with B Corps and other organizations sort of seeing you know in, in a market of restricted talent like how do we be a great employer I don't know what you think mm. No, I, I think it's a really good point. And I think things like Twitter and uh, Musk's ownership of Twitter have really brought that to the forefront. Um, and I mean, I think it's quite, I think it's quite interesting because it also raises the question that there are so many businesses like in tech, like with Twitter, that the superficial perks of pay and having a gym in your office and free lunch, you suddenly realise how much of a charade it is when it comes down to the deeper more important things like are you trusted and respected are you valued and things like that which I think often get overlooked when you're being paid a high salary and and you know we've we've sometimes struggled that you know we've lost really talented people in the past to big organizations that are able to pay over the market rate and offer kind of lots of perks Um, but it's interesting in some of these industries now there's been a real you know, reckoning and people are the, the sort of um, the curtains being drawn back a bit. <laughs> and now there's been a bit, bit of a readjustment. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm just sort of proud that we haven't had to go through that kind of aggressive layoffs process. And, and, and yeah, sorry, mm. I don't know if that made any sense. But it's, no, uh, no, yeah. it is interesting, because it is this kind of window dressing of, mm. of perks, like, you know, to a certain extent, salary, to a certain extent, things like free lunch, or even sort of one off well being offers that are quite 
seem quite tactical in nature as opposed to quite strategic. Um, you know, sometimes they can very quickly get stripped away as well. Whereas mm. when you're talking about sustainable policies, and this is another, the other thing I really want to talk to you about was um, your four-day work week uh, trial, mm. because there's a very interesting journey you've been on. Um, and tell me, as you're telling me, so tell me any kind of employee input into this or any type of way you're, you know, you've moved through this with employees, because I think it's a great story for people to hear. Yeah, so one of the um, moves we made last year was to do a um, a trial of the four-day working week. Um, it, it wasn't uh, the government trial, although coincidentally it started at the same time and, and was the same ultimate policy. Um, so we, we moved down on January the 1st, 2022. We moved everyone to a four-day working week. Um, we kept pay at 100% and we reduced working hours by 20% closing the studio on a Friday um, and not extending working hours during the week. So the idea was basically just got Fridays off um, for, for a whole year. Um, we'd read a lot about it and the benefits for, for employee well-being, for you know staff retention, the fact that productivity hadn't been proven to reduce when you cut down the total working hours because in theory, People are better rested, better motivated to do good work and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, we previously trialed for the six months before that. So we didn't just go in out of nowhere and employ that. We, we actually trialed a four and a half day working week where we closed on the Friday afternoon. And that had actually been one of our most successful periods in our in our company's history during that time. So we kind of went into it quite confident that actually, you know, we could make this work. And, you know, we'd run the numbers. We knew the amount of billable hours our team needed to hit in order to make our, you know, fairly modest profit targets, but to, to make everything work. And it all seemed to kind of, uh, it all seemed to kind of line up quite nicely for us. So we, we decided to give this a go, um, you know, it, I think it's something that both all of the, the kind of founders of Nice and Serious and leadership team really believed in. Uh, I think I feel like there are very few people now who get to a Friday afternoon and are not absolutely broken, just mentally exhausted from the pace and the demands of modern the modern workplace, the kind of always on nature. It's just exhausting. And then we like collapse on a Friday afternoon normally have one too many glasses of wine or beers and then regret it on a Saturday. And, you know, your Saturdays are spent doing admin and, you know, all life stuff that you couldn't do in the week. And then you've only got Sunday to rest and you're already getting anxious about Monday. So, you know, we just believed in the idea of a, of, of a four day working weeks, just a healthier option for everyone. It would be benefit me, uh, my family and, and, you know, all of those around us. So we gave it a go. Um, and, um, there were a lot of positives about it. You know, we did uh, team happiness surveys and stuff like that, which, you know, were fantastic levels of happiness. And annoyingly, we hadn't run uh, consistent happiness surveys prior to that. So that was a bit hard to compare before and after. Although anecdotally, the response was overwhelmingly positive. As you could imagine, you're giving people an extra a bank holiday weekend every week. No one's going to complain at that, right? But but in general, there was a there was a real sense of camaraderie that we're in it together. And you know, we we very clearly said it was a a kind of like a, a temporary benefit until we could prove it worked financially because we're not charity. Um, 
And so, yeah. Oh, and, and also that the biggest fear for us was about clients. We're in a client services industry. We're a creative agency, ultimately. And we were worried that our clients would really go against it. But actually, our clients were overwhelmingly supportive. There was no questions whatsoever. They understood it. They believed in it. They were interested in the results of how it would work. Um, so, yeah, so we tried it. We, we sort of said we would commit to it for at least six months, ideally a year. Um, and on so many metrics, it worked. Um, unfortunately, our finances weren't great last year. Um, and it's very, very hard to pinpoint why. Um, you know, obviously, this also coincided with the, the invasion of Ukraine and the subsequent cost of living crisis. And we're in marketing and communications, ultimately, and lots of budgets were cut. So we saw a massive drop in new business. But obviously, simultaneously, we were doing this four day working week. So um, as a result, we we sort of, you know, essentially finished the year with a small loss. And that was one of the first times we'd made a loss in our history. So it, it's very hard to pinpoint what was the reason, um, you know, it, for me, the the business owner who's normally closest to new business, I felt like the problem was mainly in the drop in uh, new business leads. But, you know, ultimately not having that extra billable day and sometimes when a project slips or something like that inevitably had some impact, although it was probably minor. So, so um, unfortunately, we actually got to the end of the year and we actually felt that we needed to go back to a four and a half day week, um, which we'd proven to be a success the previous year. Just more rather than anything just out of security of just having that extra half a day a week just opens up quite a significant amount of potential revenue for us and we just felt that given that we'd had quite a tough year and the economic outlook wasn't that great that we felt that it was the most responsible thing to do because we didn't want to have a look at you know job cuts or anything like that while still trialing something that's quite experimental so we learned a huge amount it exposed some really unusual things about our business model that we weren't quite aware of beforehand the team were really respectful when we had to pull it back, um, which we were quite nervous about, but they they took it very humbly. We were obviously communicating in you know every month about the numbers and so, so they understood the kind of circumstance. Um, you know, and overall I'm really happy we did it. And I, I genuinely hope we can try and do it again if we can make a few adjustments to our business model. Um, because it was arguably the most enjoyable working year of my life. So I, I hope to be able to go back to that so thank you for taking us on that journey and I think what I like most about it is that you're brave enough to try things and know that you are able to communicate continually throughout and pull them back if needed because I think a lot of there's a lot of fear surrounding some of these policies if I let this you know cat out of the bag four-day work week for example that's it and even if business is struggling we're committed and now we've promised all this stuff and it becomes something that people will shy away from experimenting with but what it feels like you're doing is really playing with quite an interesting topic like what does this work is this the best way of doing business and also you are a billable hours business so I don't see many businesses trying it who are maybe you do because you're in your other world of agencies but it you know it's it it could be some of the most challenging places to try it yeah, no, you're, you're right. And actually, it's interesting you say that because a lot of the case studies of people that have made it a success are not in the billable hours industries. Um, there, there are a few, um, you know, it might be that their overheads are lower than us, or they have 
larger, more lucrative clients, perhaps, you know, we're very much project based. And uh, I, I spoke to you previously about the moral compass, we're very selective with who we work on, which has a financial implication. So but but I agree, but you know, it is, I, I think, again, it comes down to sort of trusting your team that they're going to be adults at the end of the day, that if you communicate clearly, this is a trial and a benefit, and it benefits us all. I, I was very incentivized to keep it going as well because it was positive for my life. But I think if you communicate regularly and and trust they're all adults and if you do have to pull it back, then yeah, they're not going to, like no one was happy about it, but they understood it. Um, and actually they were very respectful of that and mature about it. Um, so that, that clear communication would have helped. If, if we had gone into it gung-ho being like, great, published it, talked about it to the world and then had to go back without any communications, I think we would have lost a lot of the team because of that. But luckily they yeah. stayed with us. Yeah, so. if you'd have been more more reactive with it, yeah. And I think what those three policies that we've spoken about today, both the period policy, uh, the paternity policy and the four-day work week and moving back to four-and-a-half-day work week, for me represent is one of sustainability and how do we create sustainable practices for employee well-being as opposed to these kind of one-off shots in the arm yeah hopefully i haven't really thought about it like that but i, I, I suppose you're right in a way um the sustainability of the business i mean it's interesting you don't find in the creative marketing space it's very fast-paced and you don't find a lot of people stick around for the long term um, in this industry because they can't handle the, the speed and the, the relentlessness of pitching and deadlines and stuff and you know perhaps yeah what we might be trying to do subconsciously is create that a more um, sustainable culture that people can actually stick with us you know we have got I've got colleagues that have been working with me for 10 12 years for a very young agency and that's you know I think it's arguably because we try and create that culture where, where people can um be happy and thrive and not not burn out um or at least that's what yeah. we're trying to do but. well that's a great place to end thank you so much tom really appreciate thanks. all your insights thanks for coming back no pleasure thank you thank you tom i love how considered and transparent you are and how you balance the desire to be conscious with the realities of running a profit-making business now if there was an award i would give nice and serious it's one of communication and participation from employees no surprises, just iterative improvements involving staff. And I think that's how we all want to be treated. Well, you've been listening to the Conscious Leaders podcast and I am Ruth Franger. I want to facilitate honest conversations with great people leaders so you can learn from their highs and lows and take away sustainable practices and behaviours you can implement straight away. For pre-practical advice on how to build a calm, collaborative and productive workplace, as well as info on my number one best-selling book, Next Level Leadership, visit ConsciousLeaders.org.uk.